Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. The scripture lesson for this morning is Genesis 1, 26-31. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. An evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was delivering pizzas for a Godfather's Pizza in Champaign-Urbana for a little bit during college. And it was the kind of pizza place that was connected to a gas station over at the corner of Bradley and Mattis, if you know that area. It wasn't a prestigious job, but it was a lot of fun. Sometimes people got upset because everything took too long, and if, you're, if you've ever worked in food service, I get that. I understand that. But this was all in the days before everyone had easy access to GPS, and so I actually had to use maps to find people's houses like a caveman. <laughs> Do you know how people typically respond, though, when the pizza delivery person pulls up to the door? People ordered pizza because maybe they had a long day and they didn't want to cook and they were hungry. Or maybe they ordered it because it's their favorite food and it just sounded good. Or they ordered pizza because they have a lot of people over and it's an easy way to make sure that everyone gets something that they like. It's not usually a sad food. Not until it's cold the next morning, then it can be pretty sad. But when I'd show up with pizza, anything close to a timely manner, you'd think I was Santa Claus for how I was received, for how excited people got. And I wish that I could say that the smiles on their faces were all the payment I needed, but I really did appreciate tips. It was not exactly Elon Musk money, but it paid some bills. Now, I don't miss pizza delivery, but I do remember how good it felt to hand someone something that seemed to just lift their countenance, even just a little bit. Now, we're not exactly delivery drivers in the body of Christ. Jesus doesn't take our order, bake it up fresh, and deliver our requests in 30 minutes or less or you get your money back. That's not how faith works. But there are things that God hands to us that will satisfy our deepest hungers, fulfill our longings, and lift our weary, wounded eyes towards hope. And when these gifts of God arrive at our threshold, we might just find that we've received what we needed. But it's not just for us. God's gifts are passed to us a bit like a baton, a bit like a torch in a relay. 
The light ignites our hearts, and then that fire that's lit within us remains as we share the light of Christ with one another. And so over the next month, we're going to take a look at some of these gifts God gives us to pass on from one to another and from generation to generation. We'll look at the means that God gives us to share these gifts and why it's so important that these elements of our faith are carried and delivered again and again in an unbroken line through the ages. And today we start a bit where Scripture starts, one of the very first and best gifts that God has given us, the divine image. So that takes us to our first lesson. We have been given the image of our Creator. We've been given the image of our Creator. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I remember when I went through a photo album of my parents when they were younger and thinking I was looking into a mirror. There were pictures of my dad that may as well have been pictures of me, and the resemblance was striking, and maybe you've had experiences of that too as you've looked through family albums. Or maybe you've experienced your child doing the odd or ornery thing that you did as a young person, and it turns out you never told them about that idiosyncrasy, and you never had to teach them how to do it. Maybe it's environmental. I don't believe in karma, but I do believe that God has a sense of humor and sometimes shows us what we've put others through in our younger days. And this doesn't just apply to our family by birth. Adoptive families can tell you that family traits can be seen and experienced without an ounce of blood relation. It's simply something that tends to happen in families. And each human being is part of a family that shares a common lineage that dates back to when God first breathed life into the earth which he formed, formed to somehow reflect the divine image. What does that mean? Is it physical characteristics? Does God have a face that Adam's was formed to resemble? Does God have a body that the clay was formed to mimic? Does the same Lord who spoke light into being have a mouth that ours was designed after? Did the God who walked with Adam and Eve in the midst of the day create our legs to be like his? Or is it more the character? Is it in our capacity to love, our innate understanding that there is such a thing as justice and right and wrong? Is it our proclivities towards being in relationship? May we experience it in our longing for a kingdom that is so unlike the broken and fallen one that we now inhabit. Maybe it's in the emotions that we show that seem to reflect all the heights of joy and the angers that God displays in Scripture. I think we learn most from the ways that scriptures describe Jesus. If you notice, the Bible doesn't take a lot of time to describe Jesus' physical attributes. It focuses instead on his heart, on his compassion, and on what he does. If Jesus is the pinnacle of the divine image displayed in humanity, then scripture relays to us what is essential to start and to grow faith in Christ. Then what we need to know about this divine image is what we've been given to know of Jesus. And that takes us to lesson two. We've been given responsibility and authority. We've been given responsibility and authority. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, 
I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Whenever we leave the children at home to you know, fend for themselves a little bit, I try and tell the one left in charge to be a benevolent dictator. You have to be a benevolent dictator in that role. That basically means that whoever is in charge has authority, but also responsibility. Yes, they can boss their younger siblings around a bit, but they also have to make sure that their siblings do things like eat and avoid behavior that would result in hospitalization. It's not, it's not all the sovereign rule enforcement that they'd hope it to be. But, for the most part, everybody does pretty well with that. So far, so good, at least. But ultimately, what we want is that our kids would represent our hearts as parents. And we also recognize that how hard it is to do that without the benefit of our immediate presence and specific guidance in every situation that may arise. What we have to hope is that the instruction that we have given them and the care that we've showed them would function as a guide long enough at least until a parent is back on the premises. This is basically the instruction God gives to these brand new inhabitants of creation. Be benevolent rulers. God has given humanity clear authority over these items, primarily given to us for the sake of nourishment. In the history of civilization, that has meant things like very intentional techniques of growing crops and intentional processes for domesticating and herding livestock. These are acts of authority over these aspects of creation, these parts of nature. But our role is not purely one of authority, it's one of responsibility. In order to produce the nourishment needed to feed humanity, we have to be good stewards of these resources. We don't just wield power, we bear responsibility. And that's from the book of First Spider-Man, if you're looking for it. See, God wants humanity to reflect his heart. He is our sovereign Lord, but he doesn't coerce or manipulate us with that power. Instead, God invites us into a relationship that provides for us through that power. The dynamic difference between the power of God and the power of our own lives is literally infinite. But this command invites us to that same posture of power. We've been gifted with power that, though it's less than God's own power, is given by God's own hand and choosing. How often do we downplay our capacity to make a difference because, hey, what can just one person in a world of seven billion people do, right? And yet we see that God has given us authority and power from the start. And that doesn't even compare to the way that God refers to authority and power for those who trust in Christ and who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a whole nother level of dynamite that God has given to us. So what are we to do with this authority? I think it's still to do with nourishment and nurture. We're to make sure that God's children are fed and nourished. We're to see that God's creation is not wasted or treated, treated with disregard. I know the Earth Day has passed, but that is true of our care for this planet as well. I had a chance to see some folks who were out working on the Mission Garden a bit yesterday. These folks were exercising the authority God has given us to work the ground, order the ground, so that seeds could provide nourishment and food. They're also exercising their responsibility, not only as stewards of the land and the resources being used for the garden, but a sense of responsibility for our neighbors and for our community. It's one of the unique parts about our responsibility. The good seeds planted today don't necessarily result in a good harvest today. The good seeds planted today result in a good harvest after some time. For the tenth straight year, this garden has planted in hope. 
Responsibility also requires that we have to have some patience for God to do God's part in making seeds grow, at first invisibly, and then in ways we can track. And our growth in love and maturity functions much the same way. The responsibility piece is a bit of a counter to the power piece because, as the adage goes, power corrupts. And though we're not to that chapter in the book quite yet, we see how a greed beyond nourishment and hunger for power corrupted the whole of God's creation. And that leads us to lesson three. We've been handed goodness that Jesus restores, and we pass on. We've been handed goodness that Jesus restores, and we pass on. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. It was very good. Very good. Every other step of creation at this point, God called it good. Light was good. Water, good. Land, good. Fish, birds, things that creepeth, all good. But God looked upon this first little community of people, the couple of them, and saw something very good. And they walked in that goodness for an unknowable amount of time. All we know is that by Genesis chapter 3, it shows us how humans were convinced that God was untrustworthy, that God didn't want them to have the very best, and that they lacked something of the divine image, that they needed to do something to make themselves as powerful as God. And with their surrender to temptation, sin, shame, and death entered into the world. These were things that had no foothold into the lives of humans up until that point, but with the fall of creation, we would all come to understand temptation, sin, shame, and death, and that tarnished the divine image. That which God proclaimed to be very good would instead come under curse. We surrendered the characteristics of God that had been planted in us from the very beginning, all for a taste of something that human pride, maybe, couldn't do without, And that curse separated us from those walks with God in the midst of the day. And the curse introduced mortality. Humanity in that moment and all those rebellious moments that followed experienced separation from the God who loves them. Some have attempted to overcome that separation by laboring to return to God's good graces. Some have tried to bridge the gap through self-degradation. Some just don't even try. But here's the thing, just as we were once given this image as a gift... The divine image is restored to us as a gift as well. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God's plan has been to reveal the sacrificial love of the Son so that our lives and the divine image could be restored. That through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus and our trust in his sacrifice, that divine image could be restored, first in the eyes of our heavenly Father through the simple act of trust and then through the constant surrender of our lives to Jesus. Jesus has given us this gift of a brand new beginning, a clean slate. And because it's come to us freely, we have a chance to pass it on freely to others. As we approach communion today, The words of this ritual are meant to help us remember, to remember Jesus through the bread, remember Jesus through the cup, and to remember who we are through faith. We are the image bearers of God. And in God's eyes, believers are absolutely covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And today, I pray that our hearts would hear how God sees each of us, that we'll know how beloved we are, that as restored people, 
We won't just keep this gift to ourselves. This remembrance, this new life, is worth passing to others. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and before one another. Would you please join in the confession on the screen? Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. and We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins before the Lord. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give our thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through the prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, Lord, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And on the night when he gave himself up for us, he took bread and giving thanks to you, broke it and shared it with his disciples saying, take and eat all of you. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it, remembering me. And likewise, when the meal was finished, he took the cup and giving thanks to you, he shared it with his disciples and said, take and drink all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it, remembering me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts through Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with the sacrifice that Christ has offered for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ in the world, redeemed by his blood. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in service to the entire world until you return in final victory and our joy is made complete as we gather together around your heavenly banquet. 
Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Now I would invite you, during the song, if you'd like, you can take the receptacle that you receive that contains both the bread and the juice, you can peel back the uh, layer that contains the bread first. I strongly recommend that. You can take the bread and uh, as God invites you, as God calls you, you can receive that. Then once you've done that, you can just simply turn the receptacle over and peel back the foil to get to the juice portion and you can drink that. Uh, and if you're joining us for the uh, love feast at home, please feel free to eat and drink what you have and have an opportunity to give thanks to God for one of the ways that God has blessed your life this week. And now Christ's body has been broken for you. Christ's blood has been poured out for you as we receive this gift of Holy Communion. We give thanks. <laughs> 